guys. Thanks for tuning in to episode 16 of Sheer Crime. I'm Kenzie. And I'm Amy. And this week, we are diving into the HBO documentary Baby God, which covers the unbelievable story of Dr. Fortier, a fertility doctor that used his own sperm to impregnate his patients for over 40 years. This show left us shocked, disgusted, and pissed off beyond belief. Even now, the total number of his offspring is unknown. Unbelievable. It is so crazy. At the beginning, it was like, oh, this is kind of strange and weird. Why would someone want to do this? But at the end, it gets terrible. No, it gets (laughs) terrible. And it was so funny because I messaged you saying, oh my gosh, I need to finish this because we're recording tomorrow. And you were like, Guns blazing, like, pissed off about this. I'm like, oh, my God. What's happening? What's happening? Because I was only in, like, the first third of it. Yeah, I understand now. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's uh-huh. it's truly... Uh, this guy, I fucking hate him. I mean, That's it. yeah. Power has... It's power and control, man. Yeah, seriously. Well, to get us through this, we're clearly going to need something to drink. That's right. So what did you bring over today? Oh, so it's something a little different today. We are doing a Vizzy. Okay. Still a hard seltzer. Um, I actually had these a few months back, and they're surprisingly very good. Yeah. Better than White Claw. Because as we've kind of spoken. White Claw girl. Yeah. I, I'm not really either. Apparently, I'm not basic enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a basic white girl. I'm not a basic bitch. <laughs> but yes, it's super, super good. It's actually mixed between blueberry and pomegranate. So Ooh, are they all mixes? Yes, they are okay. all a mix of like two different fruits. Ooh, yeah. Okay, I've seen people have them. Yeah. And I may have had a sip of one before, but yeah, I don't good. think I've actually had a whole one before. Well, let's try it out. All right. Perfection. Yeah. <laughs> I actually taste way more of the blueberry. Do then you? I do the pomegranate. I feel like pomegranate, it's almost like a flavor enhancer. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Not many things taste truly like pomegranate to me. So, why don't you start us off, Amy? All right. Like we mentioned, we are doing the documentary Baby God. So, it starts off with Kathy Holm. And she's much, much uh, more matured now in this documentary. Mm-hmm. But what she's kind of showing are like wedding footage. So it shows her in her wedding. It's like a bunch of different photos. It's like some old timey videos. I mean, really, really fun looking. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so cool to like be able to look back on. Right. Yeah. Especially and, that time frame too with, yeah. with the old vehicles and the way they dressed. And <sighs> it's, it's, I, I love looking at stuff like that because yeah. today we're just it's, slobs. Yeah. Like fucking slobs. <laughs> If you're not, like, dressed up to go to the club, you're in pajamas. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I swear, we were born, like, way too late. I tell my mom all the time she was born in the best decade, or she got to live through one of the best decades, which is the 80s. Yes. She was a teenager in the 80s. Oh, my God, I would have died. That would have been my best. Honest to God, I was was born in the wrong decade. No, me too. Totally. That is where I needed to live. Yeah, that's where I was skating. The 80s. Love band music. The hair bands. Oh, my God. That's what I needed in my life. I still have that in my life, but... (laughs) Yeah, I make it in my life, (laughs) but I think that's why I just, like, I tend to gravitate more towards, like, older people Mm -hmm. and, like, older friends because they get me. Yep, you have an older soul. (laughs) Yes, and I can't associate with being a millennial. I don't (laughs) want to. I just don't want it. Let's just pretend we're not. Okay. We're we're old today. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) 
So Kathleen's wedding footage is going on and she's saying, you know, she's speaking over over all of it. And she's saying, you know, back in the 60s, you know, people would get married. They would have kids. They would live the dream. And, you know, it it really does look like the American dream. For sure. And it sounds like that's what everybody kind of wanted, at least, you know, for the most part. Very much that white picket fence type of appearance for for these people. That's what it looked like. Yeah. Very wholesome, Mm -hmm. you know, family oriented kind of thing. Right. And she says that, you know, back then they were living in Vegas and she says that Las Vegas wasn't crowded. It wasn't busy. It looked really like rural. It was. It it almost reminded me of Cottage Grove a bit where it was just like a lot of little you know, pockets. Yeah. Like a lot of neighborhoods. Yes. You, it wasn't this big city with the big lights that we're no. used to nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. It was very wholesome. Yeah. And I so I could see that that was probably a really good place to be at that time. Oh, yeah. Great place to grow up. Yeah. And she said at that time she was like 22 years old. So, I mean, really young. Mm-hmm. But oh, my God, getting married at 22. Holy shit. Oh, some people getting married at like 18. It's I like know. makes me want to barf. I know. Back Why? then, I feel like 22 was like today's 30. Yeah. You know, yep. I mean, everyone, I mean, they found their person. They got married right away. They started having kids right away. That was yeah. just like work ethic was there. They yes. were these coddled children until the age of, you know, 30. Well, right. Like we it, are now. Right. And I think it was always just, you know, the man worked. The woman was the housewife. They had the kids. The kids grew up. It was that's just how it was. And, and they were, I believe, also spiritual people as well. So that was right. that was kind of a part of their religion too. Yeah, so that's just that's just what you do. Right. And she said that at that time everybody was giving them a lot of pressure. You know, when are you going to have babies and you know, when are you guys going to start a family and she said they they struggled, you know, a little bit. And right. it just wasn't happening as easy as they I guess probably thought it would. You know. And that's and I hope people know nowadays that is a terrible thing to ask people. You know, cuz you don't know what their backstory is. Like, you don't know that, oh, they've been trying for three years. Yeah. Even though they're still young, maybe in their 20s, even early 30s, maybe they have been trying and you just don't know. Absolutely. So it's like, just keep those kind of comments to yourself, please. Yeah. It's one that I, my husband even asked me one time just recently, like within the last month, he asked about one of our friends and he was like, I wonder if they're going to have babies. You should ask her. And I'm like, I don't think I can. Yeah. And he kind of looked at me weird. And I'm like, that's not something you ask people anymore. And he's like, really? Why? And so I mentioned, well, there's a lot of people that struggle that they can't get it. And maybe they can't afford to go in to do the procedures like IVF or anything like that. Because it's so expensive. Right. And some people also are just kind of haunted by their own childhood to the Mm -hmm. point where they're afraid to become parents themselves. Right. Because it's almost like a trigger. Like they're afraid it's just going to like turn them into their parents maybe. Right. You know? Yeah. Or repeat a cycle. Yeah. So I just don't feel like I can ask that with anybody anymore. No, I think you just stay away for a bit unless it yeah. comes up naturally in conversation and right. you're, you're just talking on that subject. Then yes, that that's obviously fine. But yeah. Know your audience. Someone? Exactly. <laughs> well, and if you ask them all the time, every time you see them, oh, what, when are you going to start having kids? When are the babies coming? When am I having grandbabies? You don't know what that does to them. That might really right. hurt their feelings, well, you know, because people don't want to have children, period. Yes, exactly. And that's okay. Totally okay. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be one that wanted children. <laughs> I know. Me too. Yeah. So, I mean, I get it. I totally get it. So she said at the time, there was one doctor in town. It was Dr. Quincy Fortier, and he could help them because he was 
like I said, the only doctor in town, but he was also the only fertility specialist. And that was a relatively new thing back in the 60s. Absolutely. You know, they didn't have what we have now. Well, they didn't even know much about DNA. No. I mean, it was it was so, so new. They knew really nothing about it. So right. this was kind of their one chance to maybe have a baby. Right, right. And it wasn't to the extent that we have it now, right? Right. Where there is so much testing done. There are embryologists in, in all of the you know, right. fertility clinics and... They're, you know, patching things together yeah. in a in a petri dish and then, you know, inserting oh, it. Science is so amazing. It's crazy. <laughs> I learned so much. I worked at a fertility clinic for like, I don't know, like oh, that's two months. That's so awesome. Yeah. It was an interesting situation, but I learned a lot where I was like, yeah. I didn't even know that you could do that. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that you could pick what gender you wanted. That's fucking nuts to me. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're if you're the one you know, putting the sperm and the egg together, you probably could decide that because you'd yeah. be able to pick between which sperm you were yep. you were going to use, yep. you know? So Once that's it kind of like flourishes yeah. or whatever and becomes wow. a gender, yeah. you can pick which ones to like, you know, then deposit into the uterus and hope that it takes. Oh my, that is so awesome. It's crazy. <laughs> it's usually for people who, let's say, you know, you and your husband have had four kids, they're all girls and you really want a boy. You could go in and have this oh, procedure. That is so done. interesting. It yeah. really is interesting. It's crazy. It's crazy. Science. Yeah. All I think about is Bill Nye, the science guy. Oh, Bill, I was thinking Bill, Bill, Bill. Breaking Bad. <laughs> science, bitch. <laughs> so we totally were thinking two opposite. different things. <laughs> yeah. Nice and wholesome cooking mess. Whatever. <laughs> so they go to Dr. Quincy Fortier and he tells them. All you have to do is just bring in your husband's samples and he would inseminate her with it. So it sounded really like simple. And I honestly kind of remember seeing like movies back in like the early 90s and like 80s where like you'd see the man like walking down the street with mm-hmm. the paper bag full of semen. Yeah. And I was always like, what? <laughs> How is that like still good? <laughs> right. Like, doesn't it have to be a certain temperature? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. So at this moment. We're seeing then footage and, you know, pictures of her as a pregnant woman and then as a mother. So it obviously worked. She mm-hmm. ended up having a daughter and her daughter, Wendy, grew up. And as she became about the age of about like, I would say four or five is kind of when they started to really notice it, because I feel like all kids kind of look very much babyish until they get to about the four yep. or five year mark and then they start to take on different features yes they're like baby cheeks start to like sink in a little bit more so you can see things you know and hair color changes i mean my daughter was a like super blonde and now i mean look at her she's not the Mm -hmm. the blonde that you see i put in there yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely but so she says that it became really apparent that her daughter did not resemble anyone on her husband's side and she was like well that's very odd you know which would kind of make sense because then you would just think that maybe you just got more of your mother's physical features, right? Sure. And that's fine. Yeah. That's That happens sometimes, right? Well, yeah, you totally see kids where they do not look anything like mom or dad, but they are like a spitting image of the other parent. We'll never know we'll why never this happens. <laughs> Science. I know. So she says that, you know, she didn't resemble anyone on the father's side, but that she was also really, really smart. And Kathy goes, I, where did that come from? Because it certainly didn't come from me. And she goes, God rest his soul. It didn't come from my husband either. Right. Like, I mean, he was he was OK, but neither one of us were the <laughs> sharpest tool in the box. Right. So then we meet Wendy. Now, Wendy was a detective for 13 years and she retired 
from the force and decided to start looking up her genealogy. You know, she says, once you get retired, you're kind of looking for hobbies. And yeah. that was something that she was interested in. She liked to dig up things. Yeah. So she ordered an Ancestry.com kit and it gave her a bunch of matches when she got the result back. And she was like, oh, these must be like cousins, you know. But then she thought about it. She didn't have any cousins. And then half sibling matches were popping up and she didn't have any siblings. So she was like, what the heck is going on? She says the only thing that kept coming up that was consistent was the name Fortier. So she calls her mom and she's like, look, I took this DNA test and it showed that my biological dad is not the man that I thought was my dad. It's showing here that it was that fertility doctor that you used back in Las Vegas. Could you imagine that phone call and what that mother must felt or must have felt? Yeah. I mean, in a way, I would almost think that she would be like, I knew it. Like, maybe not exactly that it was him, but kind of like all those questions I had. I knew that I wasn't crazy thinking that. Yep. Like, it finally makes sense. But how horrified would you be? Oh, my gosh. I mean, knowing that your daughter's life growing up was kind of a lie. Right. You know, I mean, to she, all of you. Yes. Everyone, you know, it yeah. was, it was just all, all a lie. And oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't either. So the documentary crew is asking Kathy, like, well, did you ever think about using, you know, like a donor sperm? And she goes, no, no one talked about that kind of thing. That's something we would have never even thought about. She was married to her husband. Right. And like, they literally just went there to put the, his sperm and her egg together and get pregnant. Like, that's the only reason they went there. Like, it was never to get someone else's sperm. You know what I mean? That's like, yeah, that's why they didn't talk about it. Yeah. Because it was straightforward, right? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, she said no one ever talked about it. And honestly, I think at that time, they don't mention it, but I don't think that they could have necessarily been able to test whether or not his sperm was working or not. Oh, I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. I, I don't, they were not that far advanced, I no. don't think. So that probably wasn't even something that they thought could be a thing. Right. Wow. Yeah. We next meet Dr. Frank Silver, and he was actually an employee of Dr. Fortier. So they worked together in the same hospital. Yeah. And we see him, like, in a convertible. He's smoking a cigar. He's going to the bar. Oh, like, yeah. He is living his best life right now. Convertible's down. He's loving life. Yeah. I love the bar he walks into. It's It looks like such a speakeasy. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's super dark in there. He's at like the corner of the bar. It's like the, yeah. And at Girl first. Boys Club kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And at first, like he's showing us pictures of regular and irregular ovaries on his cell phone, like on his camera roll, on his iPhone. And I'm like, what the fuck? Why are you showing us this? I like, know. I don't want to see that. <laughs> I know. I wrote down pictures of female sex organs. Why? <laughs> That's what I wrote. I was like, um, why? But I mean, I guess that's like your life. I mean, that's what he did. Well, and that's what we find out. So it did make a little bit more sense because they they told us he was a doctor. Right. But not of what. Right. Right. So then we find out that he's a gynecologist. Go figure. Made sense. And he tells us that gynecology was actually like the door opener for him. Like it really made him successful because 70 to 75 percent of the population in Las Vegas at that time was female. Yeah. We next meet Dr. Harrison Scheld, and he was also an employee of Dr. Fortier, and he was an interesting character, to say the least. Yeah. He's telling us about this banana plant. I don't know if it was a banana tree or what it was. It was a banana tree, yeah. I don't know. 
And then... <laughs> I didn't even write it down because I knew you were going <laughs> to... He goes over to it and he's like, oh, that's going to, to pop a huge flower that looks like a hippopotamus's penis. And I'm like, what the fuck is with these descriptions in this documentary? What is wrong with these doctors? Is that what they think about all day long? Is well, it genitalia or what? <laughs> and why would the general public know what a hippopotamus's penis looks like? Exactly. I mean, like, I was tempted to Google, <laughs> but also no. <laughs> Were you on your work computer? I was no, <laughs> thank God. But I was about to have dinner. So oh, no, I just oh, didn't no. want to go there. Don't want to see that. Well, we find out that he's an obstetrician, which is a doctor of childbirth, essentially, and the care of women giving birth. And these three doctors had actually created their own hospital specifically for women called Women's Hospital. They were very clever. Very clever. Very clever with their name. They, they just need to stick to their job. Right, yeah. exactly. They didn't really care about the name. They just well, wanted no. to open the clinic. And you in know? all honesty, I mean, that was probably the best name for it at the time. Oh, easiest Easy. name. Right? Everyone knew what it was. Exactly. And he tells us that they were delivering thousands of babies. Yeah. Lots and lots of babies. He said that they treated a lot of conditions associated with infertility. And he says that they didn't have genetics like we were talking about, like we do today. They didn't have that back yeah. then in the 60s. They didn't even know that you could freeze sperm, so it always had to be fresh sperm. Sure. He tells us that when you're in medical school or at a hospital, that you could be a donor for these infertility treatments. Yeah. And I'm like, who qualified you to be able to do that? Yeah. Just because you're a doctor, you get to now just give your sperm to these unknowing participants and these patients? Well, I think back then it wasn't so much the unknowing part. I think they could, so what he said was that they could sell it for like 50 bucks a sample. So in my head, I mean, $50 back then was a lot. So I'm thinking maybe that's kind of how they paid their way through medical school. That was like a way that they could kind of come up with extra funds. Sure. I'm also thinking too, is that, you know, back in the day, I mean, now anybody can donate sperm. Right. But yep. God help us. Yes. Anybody can donate Anyone sperm. Anyone can donate sperm. And- Back then, they kind of wanted like the cream of the crop. So if you were a doctor or you're going to medical school, you were at least smart enough to get there. Yeah. And you had the money to be there. Right. So I think it was almost kind of looked at as like primo mm -hmm. versus what we have now, which is just shit yeah. sperm everywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. And and honestly, I kind of looked at what that dollar amount would be today. But did you? So $50. Back then would be about four hundred to four fifty today. See, per that's sample. a lot of money. It is a lot of money, and depend. I mean, how many samples could you give? You could probably give an unlimited amount. I bet I'm at sure. least one a day. Yeah, you know. So yeah, it makes sense, but it's still very weird to me that like they were just able to be a donor. I mean, they didn't have any background, or you know, they didn't have these sheets now that they do today, where it tells you exactly what that donor looks like, their height, what they do for a living, yeah. their family background, their medical history. Like, it tells you every single thing about this person. Where back yeah. then, it's like, well, you're a doctor, so perfect. Go qualified. <laughs> yeah. You know, no other qualifications. Hey. You're a doctor, qualified. Now, we know that Dr. Fortier was doing fertility work unbeknownst to his patients. Right. So he was doing this essentially behind their back. And not telling them. Yeah. And it was simply because no one understood DNA back then. I mean, they didn't really understand how it worked or that you could ever find out 
who was related to who, you know, by DNA. Yeah. I mean, you would never be able to tell who the father was of any of these babies back then. I mean, you just assumed it was your spouse, essentially. Just, it's fucking crazy. It is crazy. It's literally mind-blowing to me. Yeah. We next meet Quincy Fortier Jr., who is the son of Dr. Fortier. He was born in 1953. So in this documentary, they do tell us a lot of people's births. So we kind of get a good range of when his sperm was being used, right? Right. This this doctor, Quincy Fortier. Correct. Now, he tells us that he grew up in that women's hospital, chasing his father around the hallways. Like, he remembers that. Sure. He says he has four older sisters and one younger brother. He says that his father was a brilliant man and really understood the human body, which, again, we're not saying anything about his medical degree. I do truly believe that he was a very brilliant person. You can be smart and still fucked up. Yes, and still a piece of shit. Like, you can still be a piece of shit. Yeah. And be smart. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, look at Ted Bundy. He was going to law school. Well, and a lot of these serial killers that we'll cover have very high IQs. They are very smart people. Yeah. So it's like, it's don't make him out to be a great person, you know, because he's not. I mean, yes, he's brilliant, but he's a piece of shit. So, yeah. He says that women always got pregnant when they went to him. Mm -hmm. So he was a very good doctor. Everyone knew of him because he was so good. Exactly. He was a miracle. And his son even says it didn't even matter if he used his own sperm because his son knew that he was using his own sperm. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was almost like he was doing his job. It wasn't anything more than doing his job. He was helping out a patient. It was for the the greater good of mankind. It's sure. like, fuck off. You had you had an ulterior motive here. Yeah. There's no fucking way that you just didn't tell your patients that you were using your sperm. I just hate this man. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, these women come to him with a problem. They can't get pregnant. And then they right. get pregnant. Exactly. You know? I mean, it looks good. It looks good on paper. Absolutely. Until you know the backstory. Especially and then when it's that like, paper doesn't give you all the facts. Exactly. Yeah. And Quincy Jr. actually thinks that he has hundreds of siblings. I mean, he's he doesn't know for sure. Because, again, the number is unknown. Absolutely. How many times he did this. And he did it a lot. A lot. So we're back with Wendy. And Wendy says that so far, she has found 14 siblings that she has through Dr. Fortier. And this is just from Ancestry. Right. So you have to send in your DNA to Ancestry.com so they actually have it. Yep. Can you imagine how many people haven't done that? Because they actually still think that their parents are their parents. Or they have died already. Right. Because think about the age range, you know? There's so many. Yes, because it started in the 40s right and went into the 80s right oh my god that is so crazy it's bizarre and she is already retired at this point right right so right. she's not you know some spring chicken right just figuring this out so it's nuts it right? is now she says that she does believe that a lot of them look similar but not a lot of them look like her and i thought it was interesting all of the ones that she was popping up all seemed to be guys mm-hmm. so yep. i was like okay he clearly was like i don't know Male sperm dominant? Yep. I don't know. Yep. So she says at this time, she's looking at other people's, you know, family trees that these other siblings have kind of like posted on Ancestry.com because I'm assuming once you make a match, you can kind of look at theirs and kind of see things. And she says that a lot of them have posted Dr. Fortier as their father on their family trees. She's just not quite ready to do that yet. And I don't blame Me her. either. Yeah. I don't blame like, her. Ugh. It'd be hard. 
that would be such a finalization. Right. And I don't think she wants him to even be associated with her. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, she loved her dad. Yeah. Her dad that she grew up with and that she knew as her father. And that's that's okay. That is your dad. Dr. Fortier is a fucking monster. And that's all he is. Sure is. So she says that she's been finding half siblings that were born in the 40s, the 70s, and even the 80s. God, it's sick. So just for like a bit of reference, my oldest sister is like 28 years older than me. So to me, that's so weird to think that she could have been 40 years older than me. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. It's a big gap. Yeah. It's a huge gap. Yeah. He jokes because neither one of my older sisters had kids. So he jokes that his daughters never gave him grandkids. So he had to give himself grandkids. (laughs) (laughs) That's a cute joke. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's hilarious, but yeah, it's just, it's so weird to also think that other people have that going on. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. Yeah. So she says also that of these half siblings that she has found, two of them are almost the same age as her oldest son. Wow, I can't imagine. Oh my God. And this, the one thing I thought about when when we were going through this is I was like, ew, like, wouldn't you be like super freaked out if maybe your partner was like a half sibling that you didn't even know about? Oh my gosh. That's the fucked up part. Right. Is that like you're not telling these people and then they can reproduce and and possibly have, you know, mentally challenged babies or, you know, like terrible outcomes for their children. It doesn't always happen. Right. But when you do that, bad things can happen. You know, blindness, hearing impaired, mental challenges. It's like, yeah, he's such an asshole. He was only thinking of his goddamn self. Totally. And the other weird thing, too, is that there's been a lot of studies that show that siblings who do not grow up in the same family, like let's say in this instance where Mm -hmm. you find out you have a sibling later in life, you will meet and almost kind of have like an immediate kind of attraction because of things like, for one, the physical attributes that are a lot like yours Mm -hmm. will tend to be attractive to you in your reptilian mind. Yeah. Right. So it's like, ew. Ew. But yeah. So that was also something that I thought about. Oh, I did not think about that. But I need to stop thinking. Why do I always come (laughs) up with these weird fucking thoughts? Ew. I feel like that's our like every (laughs) podcast. You're like, ew, I never thought of that. And I'm like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why do I think of that? You're thinking outside of the box. It just comes so easy, and I don't know if that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she says, you know, two of them are about the same age as her oldest son, and some of them are as old as 70. So, oh, that's that's such a gap. I think she even said that she had a sibling that was like 93, and then he passed away. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I know. It's crazy. Could you imagine? No. So she says that she started emailing some of them. Oh, yeah. And here's the one. The oldest child that she found that. She, so they're not sure if he was, of course, the first, but the oldest one that she was yep. able to find died in 2006. And he was the age of 93. So, yeah, geez, that's got to be because obviously she's retired at this point. So I'm assuming she's got to be at least 55, at least I'm thinking, yeah, I was thinking around 50 is what, just by the looks of her, she doesn't oh, look she that old. she looked pretty good. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't look that old. I was thinking no. maybe around 50. Yeah, so if we say that, that's about a 40-year difference. Mm-hmm. So that's the, right around par for what we were thinking. Right. And she says her biggest thing, because she's been a cop her whole life, is that she loves putting things together and, like, 
you know, putting all these pieces together like a case. So she kind of treats this almost like another case that she's working. Right. And she says that she had started in police work back at the age of 19. And by the time she retired, she was a captain and had mostly worked in major crimes, investigations, homicides, and cold cases. So she's fucking awesome. And all I said is she's our people. Uh, For real. A hundred percent. And I love (laughs) when they show like a quick little footage of like her speaking. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so... 80s she was wearing like this like <laughs> big sweater and she had this like yep. short haircut and i'm like you don't look like a cop at all no you nope. look like a reporter <laughs> but yet she had the cop mentality absolutely. and attitude you know absolutely so she says that she feels like she just needs to solve this mystery she doesn't think that fortier would have ever foreseen that in the future one day for 69 dollars, you could send in your dna and be connected with people all over the world oh no Nobody saw, I mean, that was so mind-blowing for so many people. Nobody talked about DNA, though. And that was the thing. It was just kind of this unknown thing. So it makes sense. And, you know, it was so new. It was Mm -hmm. so, so new. So it totally makes sense. How can you get that advanced, right? Right. Our mind just didn't even go there. You know, the brain didn't go to that that point where now it's, people do it all the time. People always send in their their DNA to to see their matches and ethnicities and where they came from and, you know, what percentage they are. It's sometimes not even about your relatives. It's sometimes just about you. Yeah, you personally, you know, so it's like like, science. (laughs) It's like science. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We're just going to keep shouting science throughout the episode. Bill, Bill, Bill. He is fucking awesome. Have you seen him on Twitter? He's still doing stuff. Have you seen him? Uh, I think he's on TikTok. I think he's on Twitter. He is goddamn hilarious. Yeah, my daughter thinks he's the biggest nerd ever. I love him. You don't even know. You don't even know. We grew up with him. The best part of science class was when the teacher was like, we're going to watch a Bill Nye video today. And we're like, fuck yeah. (laughs) But without the fuck, because we were, you know, in middle school. Or when you see the rolly cart with the TV yeah. coming in the room. Oh, my gosh. You know, that's what we have. We that have rolly the carts with the, with the VCR. Oh, yeah. You pull it in and you were instantly stoked. because Light you know, you shut off. And yep. you're like, yes. Didn't have to do paperwork. Didn't have to read. I didn't care what didn't I was ha- watching yeah. at that point. Didn't care. Uh-uh. I could be watching, like, old war reenactments. I wouldn't <laughs> I give a shit. Or I could have been watching, like, my teacher's, like, home videos I of, know. like, their didn't last care. vacation. I wouldn't have cared. It didn't care. It made the day go by faster. Oh, yeah. So next we meet Brad Gulko. Now, he has a Ph.D. in human evolutionary genomics, which I've never heard of, to be completely honest. It's the evolution of genes. It's in humans. It's science. (laughs) So he says that, you know, genetic tests produce scientific answers. And that's something that we just never had before. Right. He says, you know, back then there were so many things that were unknown, but it didn't mean that they were unknowable. Right. Yeah. So he says that, you know, back then he didn't know that his mother had been inseminated. Right. So he says that his mom had been treated at a hospital and then he was born there. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of it. The weird thing is that Brad's dad, who he thought was his dad, and Dr. Fortier actually knew each other. They were friends. Oh, Makes it so much worse. Uh, right? Ugh. It's like cheating, but like Ugh. secretly, like where she doesn't even, it's it's like a weird form of like rape, Well, and but he, without it being rape. And Dr. Fortier knows about it and then his friend doesn't. So he's thinking in the back of his mind, like, oh, I'm like, I see your wife pregnant there. Oh yeah, that's my baby. Like, ah, oh, just a fucking 
There are guys out there who do that, and it's Uh, fucking weird. uh, I know. Uh, uh. Gross. Gross. (laughs) So she says that Fortier had served with his dad in the Civil Air Patrol. They had been close friends, and Fortier actually was the one who delivered Brad when he was being born. And he said what they had done is he and his sister had sent in DNA to have it tested, and his sister's DNA came back 99.5% Ashkenazi Jew, and his came back only 51.2%. So that's very odd, right? And he was not expecting that. Not at all. No. And he said, you know, the thing that really kind of gave it away was that he had always had blue eyes, and that was an anomaly in his family. Mm -hmm. So next we meet Mike Otis. Now, he had originally gone into looking at his DNA because he wanted to find out what Native American tribe his grandmother had come from. Yeah. So when he gets his DNA match back, he's showing all of these matches for a bunch of people with the last name Fortier. And he's like, what? That's definitely not a Native American tribe. Right. It's confusing. Yeah. It it came out of nowhere. Yeah. And he remembers that back when he was little, his aunts had been really upset with his mom that she had been able to produce a blue-eyed, blonde-haired child. Mm -hmm. Because apparently, I mean, back then... Blue eye, blonde hair meant better, right? So they were kind of upset that she was able to have that and they're having dark hair, dark eyed babies. Sure. Which is the exact opposite. My mother prayed for dark hair, dark eyed babies. (laughs) And she got, well, when my brother was born, we didn't know what color his eyes were right away, right? Yep. But then here I come out, blonde hair, blue eyed. And she's like, damn it. Yep. My mom was thinking I was going to be blonde hair. And then I was brought in because... My mom had an emergency C-section with me, almost didn't make it. And then she hadn't seen me for like a full day or two because she was kind of out of it. Sure. When she finally saw me and I had carrot orange hair, curly (laughs) carrot orange hair, she's like, oh, that's not my baby. Yeah. There has to be another one. They're like, nope, she's the only girl. Yeah. You had a girl. She's the only one. And my mom's like, no, (laughs) no. And my my grandma goes, we'll put a bonnet on her. We'll put a bonnet on her. I'm like, thanks, Ma. Oh, my God. That's the best thing I've she goes, ever heard. She goes, I I just was shocked. I just wasn't expecting red hair. I I was expecting blonde hair. And I see, oh, you know, orange bold. curly, you know, orange curly cues off your head. I was a little shocked. I'm like, well, Jesus, I'm still your baby. We'll put a bonnet on it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the best thing I've ever heard. True story, too, sadly enough. (laughs) The redheaded stepchild over here. Yeah, literally, you you were. That's awesome. (laughs) You guys, my my parents did love me. Just just so you know, my parents did love me. (laughs) Well, at least you're a ginger with a soul. I was, you guys. So you were not scared. I do live to tell another day with a soul. (laughs) So back to Mike Otis, he had said that, you know, at that time, his mother was with what they would have considered an imperfect partner. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, of native descent, olive skin, dark hair. And he thought that this doctor was, in a way, giving his mother, quote unquote, a gift by giving her a blonde hair, blue eyed baby. Ugh. So I don't know. I mean, it, it was this the like, th- was this how you got designer children back then? You know, but like who gave him power to choose? 
You know what I mean? Like that's the medical that's what really board. fucking pisses me off. Is like he thought he was above everyone else and he could just decide people's lives for them. Like fuck off, dude. Like you are the worst. Yeah, totally not God in any no, way. No, absolutely not. No, and he certainly didn't look like it either. Then we go back to Brad Gulko and he says that thing he thinks that there's a natural drive that men have to kind of want to produce as fruitfully as possible. And I believe that, you know, back in the day, in all honesty, I think there is a little bit too much overpopulation right now. That's Mm -hmm. my own personal opinion. Mm -hmm. But back in the day, there was a reason for that. It was because a lot of times people were farmers Mm -hmm. and you needed help on your farm. So you would have children to help keep that alive and keep it running because you didn't want to have to pay people to come in and work for you. Well, right. And I think a lot of it, too, is a religious background, too, where you can't use any type of birth control. No, no. You can't use anything that's going to hinder God's choice to give you babies. So he also says, and we kind of brought this up a little bit earlier, that he thinks that there is a bit of a desire in men to see somebody who's attractive in your eyes carrying your child. Sure. And I mean, what husband doesn't look at his wife a little differently right. when he has impregnated her and Absolutely. she is walking around with a swollen belly and she's glowing? Absolutely. You know, I saw it both times with my husband. I mean, he was always touching my belly. I mean, you could just tell that, yes, he loves me. He admires me now. But like the admiration that he had for me when I, when I was pregnant was a little different than it is well, now. <laughs> it's totally different because it's almost like I mean, it's almost like they're going, look what I did. Exactly. You know, like I did that. Yeah, I did that. Mm -hmm. That was me. Mm -hmm. Yep. No one else has done that. Right. You know, kind of a thing. And excitement, right? Right. There's going to be a baby. Yeah. There's a new baby. You you don't know what they are yet. Sometimes you don't find out the gender. You don't know what their personality is going to be like, what they're going to look like. There's so much excitement behind it. You know what I mean? So I think it has a lot to do with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So Brad says that due to all of these things we just talked about, he kind of thinks that Dr. Fortier kind of found a way in his mind to justify it as to why he was doing what he was doing. Yep. Basically, he doesn't think so much that he was doing it in a malicious way. And maybe it wasn't necessarily malicious. I think in a way he truly thought that he had a gift of impregnation and he was passing that on to people who could not do it. He is fucking gross. I just fucking hate him. I don't care what anyone says. I hate him. I know. Hope he rots. He is rotting. He He probably already bones by now. (laughs) That's right. Now, Wendy, we're back to Wendy. She's going through some old, like, archival newspaper information. (gasps) Love that shit. I know. Love it. It's so interesting. So she's, like, looking at all these things, and she says, yeah, he was about 5'10", about 165 pounds or so, blue eyes, He had six children with his wife back in the 60s, but then they divorced. And then after that point, after the divorce, Dr. Fortier had adopted two more daughters. And she's finding all these news articles of like a lawsuit towards Dr. Fortier. Mm -hmm. And in the lawsuit, it shows that he had been cited for mixing his sperm with the husband's sperm. And he states to help, quote unquote, swim up. So almost like, I don't know, it would almost be like a race to the finish line is how I looked at it. Bullshit. I I just fucking call bullshit. That is to help with the swim up. Fuck you. You're saying that your sperm are going to win, essentially. If if that was ever the case. I don't even think he ever mixed it. I I don't. I don't. I think it was his and only his. And he's a fucking liar. I agree. Yeah. So she finds out that he had been impregnating women well into his 70s. 
Ew. It is gross. And he never lost his license or his reputation. Because with this case that she's talking about, they ended up settling out of court. Well, yeah. He paid no people no off. Foul. He had a lot of money. He yeah. fucking paid people off. And then they weren't allowed to talk about it. So once they got paid off and were probably paid millions. I mean, this guy made a lot of money. He was a doctor for a long time and had his own clinics, his own See, so he and he was the only he one was in the town only who one. So he was making a shit ton of money. Yeah, a lot of money. Yeah. So now we actually get the voice of this fucker, Doctor Quincy Fortier. I had to gasp. I did not think that this documentary crew would actually get his voice. I was a little shocked when it first came on. I had to stop for a second because I was like. Why aren't they showing his face? Because I thought they were talking about the junior. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, oh, no, this is literally his voice. And then I was like, well, duh. He was such a big thing (sighs) back then in that area that, of course, they would have some type of interviews or some type of footage of him speaking. I mean, he was given awards and stuff like that. So. It makes sense. It makes yeah. sense, but I was not expecting I was not expecting it to be in, in this documentary at all. No. And he's basically telling us that he was born in Auburn, Mass. on September 16th of 1912. He actually lived on a farm before the First World War. And he said he first got interested in fertility when one of his cows got pregnant one time, but never was able to get pregnant again. And that's when he was, I would say, a teenager. They showed us yeah. some old photos, and it looked like he was a, a teenager at the time. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine that would be something that would be kind of interesting to you, right? Right. Like how it happened one time and not again. Absolutely. Yeah. We actually hear a news reporter speaking and they're telling us that in 1991, he was actually honored as Nevada's physician of the year, practicing even after passing his 90th birthday. Okay. I'm sorry. If you are 90 fucking years old, you should not be working on women's reproductive organs. I'm sorry. No, maybe supervising. Maybe. Right. Do not be using your own hands and shit doing that. There's no way you can study yourself and be doing that. Your brain might still be brilliant. So, yes, have the younger 20, 30-something, 40-something-year-old doctor do it. Not you at 90 years old. Go fucking lay down and take a nap, for God's (laughs) sakes. Seriously, <laughs> like you're not. Don't you have someone to fall asleep sitting up? <laughs> like, go, go fucking do something else. Like, go relax for God's sakes. Right? It's called retirement, God. man. It's fucking worse, man. He doesn't deserve to relax. Fuck that, man. He can work <laughs> until he he dies. Uh, it's, yeah. Seriously. Now we meet Mary Craddock, who was the one who actually filed that lawsuit against 40A to the tune of $14 million. Good Lord. Good on you, Mary. Right. Fuck yeah. And at that time, he was actually 93 years old. And he looked old. Oh, yeah. He looked like he was about to croak. He he looked old. And I think the hard thing about that is, is especially when there's like, if there's a jury or people will start to feel bad for him yeah. because he's an old guy, you know? And because he just, that's hard. Sweet old man. Exactly. So after this lawsuit happened, he ended up closing his practice. He put his multi-million dollar estate into a trust and counted on his lawyers to basically keep a lid on it. Like, yeah. don't say anything about it. It never happened. It's all hearsay kind of bullshit, right? Sure. Next, we hear from Nanette Fortier, who is Dr. Fortier's adoptive daughter. And we actually only see her in the shadows. They never show her face during this documentary. 
Didn't they show pictures of her, though? Now, she may have been the one that he was in the courtroom with. Oh, yeah. Possibly. Possibly. But during this interview, she didn't want to be seen. Right. Which was a little, why? Yeah. Like, well, what do you have to hide? Well, that's exactly You it. know, I, it's, it seemed a little weird to me. Now, she tells us that he dedicated his life to helping people and to be vilified really hurt him. And I'm like, then why mislead your patients for 50 years? Yeah. Why not fucking tell them what you're doing? Well, because he thought he'd get away with it. Because you're a fucking con artist. Like, yeah. that is what you are. Because you yeah. know you did something wrong. And now you don't want to be vilified for it? Like, fuck off. Yeah. That's all I can say to him is fuck off. That's all I want to say to him. Say it. Say it. Kathy. I know. <laughs> I'm like, literally, I wrote this down. I was like, you were trying to pull one over on everyone, Quincy. What the fuck? Yeah. You were. That's exactly what I mean, you were seriously, doing. That's what he was doing. Nanette goes on to say that any kind of agreement back then was verbal only. Basically a handshake. Sure. And I hated that. That's just the sign of the times. Well, and I think she's just trying to make him sound like a great person. And I yeah. don't like that. I, I just hate how she's trying to justify everything that he did. Yeah. Where, oh, that's just what you did then. That's the, you know, there was no real written agreement. It's like, but he didn't even fucking tell them. They didn't even know. It's that's not like the there was thing, no yeah. verbal nothing. He didn't tell them nothing. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. She's talking out of her asshole. So Nanette tells us that Dr. Fortier actually adopted her when he was 55 years old and also adopted Sonia, who is his other adoptive daughter, and her sister. Yeah. She tells us that he used to hypnotize himself because he didn't like anesthesia and drugs because it made his mind foggy. So he didn't like to do that. So he would hypnotize himself instead. I kind of get it. I sort of did that during labor and delivery with my daughter. Really? Because I didn't get an epidural or any type of pain medication. And I didn't know I was doing it until yeah. later. But I was almost like putting myself in a trance to get through it. Oh, my God. I, I don't even know if I could get myself to that point. I, I am such a high anxiety person. There's no way I could get myself to the point of like hip, hypnotizing myself. I will uh, I will tell you, I was huffing a cotton ball full of lavender oil the entire oh, time. Yeah, yeah that, so probably that helped. That helped. But, I'm sure. So I kind of get it. But yeah. at the same time, I mean, it definitely didn't take all the pain away. But oh, well, it probably made it a lot more manageable. I'm sure. And then, you know, she casually says, oh, well, he circumcised himself. I'm like, hold up. <sighs> hold up. As a fucking adult, uh -huh. he circumcised himself. Uh-huh. Do you know how fucking dangerous that is? Well, and that's like, they say that it's horribly painful oh, for an adult my. to go through that oh my god and he did it himself so i when i heard that oh. i paused it and i'm like danny <laughs> dude this guy fucking circumcised himself my husband quote what a warrior i'm like what no this is horrible that's terrible and i'm surprised he didn't freak out oh i Honest to God, I was not. And she literally is saying this so casually. Like, it's no big deal. People do it all the time, right? But, yeah. He circumcised himself. Like, the fuck? No. That it, is. Yeah. Why? Oh. I think it just made him more heroic. In well, I'm sure. It made, yeah. him, made him feel more macho or well, I think whatever. Mind, it made him sure. more of, it made him more of a, you know, a figure. Oh, sure. Yeah. Of course. He's that great of a doctor. Right. And a dad. Right. She tells us that he actually had to move his practice into their home, 
which I also found to be weird. Like, I couldn't imagine going to a doctor's fucking house for an exam. Can you imagine? No. And there's a thing that I had to remember, too, that he's he's not just an infertility doctor. He's also a normal doctor, too. So people go to him for normal stomach pains or, you know, just sickness, right? So that's another nugget to just keep in the back of your mind because some of these women had went to him with stomach aches and things that didn't have to do with your reproductive organs, okay? This is how fucked up this guy is. She then... Oh, my God, did this fucking piss me off. Yeah. She then tells us that he even was their OBGYN doctor and examined them. Okay, I'm sorry. That is not okay. I don't give a shit if you're an OBGYN doctor. You don't examine your own fucking daughters. No. No. You get a different doctor that's not related to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. That is fucking weird, especially when these were his adoptive daughters. He's a single man right. with two small adoptive daughters that he's giving vaginal OBGYN type of physicals right. on. It is not okay. I'm fucking pissed. All I could write was, ew, because I was like, and she was proud of it. I, that even made me more pissed. Like, she was like, oh, well, he was such a great doctor. I just, I, I felt so privileged for him to be able to do that. I'm like, he fucking brainwashed you guys. Do you understand that? Like, this oh, motherfucker yeah. got off on this. And yep. that's so fucked up because I don't know when he started giving you these quote unquote exams, but it was probably too fucking early. Guarantee right. you it's probably too fucking early. So right. fuck this dude. I hate him. He's the worst. And I hate that she's even... Behind him and, like, backing him up on this shit. It's horrible. Yeah. The crew had asked her if she knew about him using his own sperm. Mm -hmm. And she said that when these allegations came out, they did have discussions about it. And he had told her that, you know, using his own sperm was no different than using his own blood. Like, yeah, the fuck it is, <laughs> Quincy. Yeah, the fuck it is. Fuck you yeah, again. It's not a blood donation. Oh, I hate him so much. Like, I know. he's trying to make himself out to be like this hero. And it's like, no, you're not. Like, you're a fucking monster that hid all this shit from thousands of people. Yeah, you frauded so many so, families and profited off of all this bullshit. Yeah. Like, fuck you, man. Then Sonia comes in and tells us. These people wanted a baby so badly that if there was a will and a way, then there it goes. And I'm like, but he never told his patients what he was doing. So at least tell them like, hey, I have the solution for you, but I want to fill you in on it and see if you're okay with it. Right. Fill them in to see if they say yay or nay. Guarantee they're going to say nay to that. And a lot of people have said that. That yes. if they would have known, they wouldn't have gone through with well, it. Well, because again, a, some of these women were in their early 20s getting impregnated by like a 60-year-old man. Ew. And they're instantly like turned off by that. Like, no, I I don't want your sperm. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's disgusting. And it <laughs> is. Oh, I think it was Big Daddy. Old balls? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> Love that movie. <laughs> I haven't seen that in so long. <laughs> I just watched it. Well, and she says something like, you know, well, didn't he tell them? And she kind of almost like shrugs it off. And also the thing is, is that, you know, she was like, well, people didn't really have a desire to know as much as they do now. And I'm thinking, so because they didn't ask, he didn't feel it was necessary to tell them. Well, 
Yeah, and that's what I said too. I was like, well, so people what? couldn't know shit like that. So back what? Then. They were supposed to have asked, and then he would have told them again. And she, I don't believe you would have. No, she is totally just trying to make him out to be a good person mm-hmm. and making his actions look okay. And ugh, I hate it. Yeah. I, I I just want to say that I can't stand either of these two ladies right now. Like, stop validating all the shit he did. It was not okay. And they're making it out to be, you know, something that he did as a favor to these women. Like, no, he did this shit behind their back. Like, it's not okay at all. Like he was God's gift to women. Exactly. Yeah. Now, Wendy comes back and, and, you know, she says she feels the need to protect her mom. And she couldn't. I mean, obviously, she she wasn't born, right, Right. to, to protect her mom from this. But that if maybe she didn't know, it would be better for her. And her dad had actually passed away before any of this came out. And she's actually kind of happy that he didn't know. Absolutely. That would be so tragic. Absolutely. She said that he it would have de- devastated him. Yeah. I mean, that was his real daughter his whole entire life. And that's all he knew. And, and she's happy that he died knowing only that and nothing right. else. And that does totally make sense. Yeah. Now we're back with Mike Otis. And he says that he has been struggling with how to tell his mother. So his mother is in her 90s at this point. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know yet. He found out, right. right? So he says, you know, his mom had always been really afraid that Mike would turn out to be like her husband at the time. You know, it sounds like he was an alcoholic, wasn't very nice, wasn't much of a con- contribution to society. No, not at all. So she just always kind of had this fear that Mike would almost, you know, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree type exactly. situation. But that definitely wasn't how it turned out. And he says that, you know, he doesn't mind making it public, but he wants to tell his mom first, which good for you, man. Now, Wendy is on a mission and she is going back to Pioche, Nevada. And, you know, she says that she has always been as a person kind of distant, quiet, cool, clinical you know, is that the 48 genes right, that are showing through? She doesn't think he was all bad. I mean, I don't believe every person is all bad or all good. No, we're human. I think we have our flaws. Some of them are just a lot, right, a lot deeper. And some of us let the darkness take over exactly. more. But, you know, she doesn't believe that he was all bad. But she also starts to say that, you know, she thinks that maybe in the beginning it did start out more innocent. Maybe it was a little bit of just trying to help out. And then it got out of control. Mm -hmm. So they're showing her like walking through the old clinic that he worked at. Yes, this was the one that they showed at the beginning of the documentary. It literally reminded me of of like a haunted insane asylum. I'm not kidding. It was creepy as shit. Like shit was still left there. All the old timey equipment. I was like, that just looks so barbaric. This is why I'm glad I wasn't born way back then. Because I have a fear of medical equipment as it is. Oh, yeah. And she's kind of looking through some things and she comes across those little cards that you would fill out after a baby is born. And she's like, oh, there's so many of them. They're so empty. And she goes, I wonder how many he filled out for his own kids. Oh, it's probably endless. Yeah. We then hear the voice of Dr. Fortier again. And, you know, he's talking about how he was the only doctor in Pioche at the time. You know, he wasn't just an OBGYN, but that's what he was specialized in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he would, you know, treat anything that anybody came in with. And I think, you know, as a medical doctor back then, you were probably a little bit more well-rounded. Yeah. And so he says, you know, back then that doctors were the primary sperm donors, like we had mentioned in the beginning. 
And, you know, he said at that time we had an awful lot of babies. I hate it. I I just hate it. Just as a a listener heads up, if you hear some weird, scary background noises, we have moved our location for recording for today into another room in my house that happens to be right below my kitchen, which happens to be where my daughter and all three dogs (laughs) want to hang out at this moment. So if you hear some stuff going on, that's what it is. You're not you're not being haunted in your podcast. (laughs) We're back with Mike Otis, and he says that, you know, he always knew that he was a little different. Now, besides being that blonde hair, blue eyed baby. He also was able to do needlepoint at the age of three. Needlepoint. Mm-hmm. Who would give a child a needle uh, was no. my first question. No. But he says that, you know, at one point he had a toy that had broken and he completely took it apart and reconstructed it to fix it. So he was clearly very <laughs> smart. You're right. Right. And, you know, he said at the time when he was young, he would get teased a lot in school because he didn't have a father. His father had dipped out on them and he was basically considered a bastard. So at 18, Mike says that he goes off and he is going to try to meet the man who he thinks is his father. Right. And he finds him. And it sounds like he's not that great of a guy. No. I mean, kind of a drunk, kind of a bum. Yep. I don't know. Yep. He even goes on to ask Mike for 20 bucks. Oh, what a loser. Seriously. What, what a loser. A loser. I'm, I bet Mike was almost like relieved that this guy is not his dad. <laughs> right. After he found out, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, Brad Gulko says that he believes that about 50% of your traits are... From DNA. Like DNA is going to show exactly where these things come from. And he says that his dad, who he thought was his dad, I should say, was really extroverted. And Brad never was. He was very closed off, kind of an egghead, kind of into chemistry, Mm -hmm. like thought he was always kind of thought that there was something wrong about him because he wasn't like his dad. And he said that he feels like maybe a lot of kids who are not of their parents' offspring feel that way because they're so different. Right. And why am I different? Right. Especially when you don't understand why. You know, it makes sense if you're adopted. Right? Right. But in this case, I mean, he wasn't they don't adopted. Know that. Right. So he was like, I, why am I not like my dad? Right. We're back with Mike Otis, um, and we're actually in Concord, California. And he's driving to go see his 93-year-old mother to tell her about Dr. Fortier, and he said he really tossed and turned about this for years. Oh, I don't blame him. He really wasn't sure if he wanted his mother to know how she would react. There was a lot of emotions around it, which there would be, of course, in her age, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that has something to do with it, too. Now, he pulls up into his mom's driveway. The documentary crew is actually waiting outside while he goes and tells her this information. But then we get to meet her. We get to meet sweet old Dorothy Otis. Side note. Can I be her when I grow up? I know. She is amazing. Dude, the first thing they show is her like standing at the sink and she's like cleaning apricots that she had just picked from like a tree and she's going to make like jam or something. Well, and she just, her spirit just seems so young. She's so so there. She's clicking along. Yes. I loved it. She's awesome. She tells us that she couldn't sleep after she found this out. Of course. This is life-changing kind of information. Yeah. And she said the first thing she thought was... I didn't have sex with him. I giggled when she said that. I know. I go, love her and all of her sex. I don't think anyone thought you did. <laughs> and she said that she remembers being on the table during an examination with him, him leaving in the middle of it and coming back. Like, this dude is a sick fucker. He really, really is. Yeah. He was probably going out 
to satisfy himself and then coming back. Because we heard from Kathy Holm earlier that he did the same thing with her, too. Yeah, he kept coming in and out of the exam room, and she thought it was odd. It, It is weird. The doctor stays in with you for your physical or your appointment and then leaves and doesn't come back. Right. They don't leave, come back, leave, come back, leave, come back. That's weird. That is weird. That That's not normal. Yeah. Dorothy tells us that she wasn't even looking to have a baby. Like, she went to him because she didn't feel well. She actually had a stomach ache and a stomach problem that she was having to deal with. Ugh. And then she becomes pregnant. She wasn't even having sex at that time. That pissed me off. I know. Like, the violation here is huge and very prevalent. I'm sorry. Someone that comes in for a stomach issue and you have to fucking examine them in the vagina? Right. Ugh. Ugh. And she so was only, disgusting. Yeah, and she was only 20 years old Ugh. at the time. She, Like you said, she wasn't looking to have a baby. She no. actually had a plan for her life. No. Well, and she goes on to say that back in those days, you looked at doctors like priests. Like, you listened to whatever they said. They yeah. were higher power type of people. They knew more than you. Oh, yeah. You believed it was an unquestioning said. kind of a situation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They knew way more than you could ever possibly. Exactly. She thinks it's a horrible thing that he did and what he did to all these other people. But she is happy because she got Mike. Right. And it sounds like Mike's an only child. Yeah. Yep. She would have never had Mike. She would have never had kids. She would have never had the joy of being his mother. Yep. So it's kind of like a toss-up for her a little bit. Like, she's upset, obviously now looking back on the violation, right, of yeah. of her rights and, you know, not telling her what he was doing. But, you know, now she's, she's happy. Yeah. And she's also relieved that his father wasn't the person she thought he was, right? Because she yeah. thought he was this alcoholic drunk, and he wasn't. So she was very thankful for that, too. Yeah, she kind of goes on to say something to the effect of, you know, it, if it was in God's plan, obviously it was in his plan for her to have Mike. Right. So, I mean, silver lining. Right. I guess a little I mean, bit at least for she's, her. Yeah, at least she's looking at it in a way like that. I mean, how right. could you look at your son and be like, I never wanted you. Right. Right. You know, but at the same time, she didn't. At right. The, you know, at that time. Right. So we're back with Wendy and she had actually requested some paperwork from the courthouse. It was a notarized affidavit of Connie Fortier, who had also been adopted by Dr. Fortier but had later recanted this statement that she made. And this statement had allegations of sexual molestation on numerous occasions as a child, beginning at age four to five until 13. Human trash, you guys. For real. What the fuck? Oh, oh. Adult men who violate four and five-year-old little children. Anybody under the age of 18. Oh, my fucking God, I know it. Oh, my God. It it makes my fucking skin crawl and my blood boil. I, I get know. so fucking mad about this because shit. It's so beyond disgusting. I can't even imagine. No. And Connie states that he also molested her during his medical exams as a child. He would examine her vagina even if she only had a stomach ache. Well, that's all he liked to look at. Yes, that's that's what got him off. And that's all his whole life was about was fucking having an orgasm. That's what his whole life was about. And it's fucking garbage, man. He's horrible. Can I just say in like a weird way, and I know this is not true, but I've always kind of thought, why would a man want to be a gynecologist? Why would a man want to Mm -hmm. constantly, maybe not just like look at vaginas, because of course, like 
whatever. They think they're amazing. It's whatever. But that's not even something you possess. Mm-hmm. You know nothing about it right? other than what the textbooks say. Right. It's so it's always been very weird to me. Right. Right. Now, Connie had asked him why he did that, why he molested her as a child. And he had stated in Connie's words that I never raped you or were physically violent. I was always gentle and you were very relaxed and never got hurt. I want to Oh my God, I literally vomited in my mouth a little bit. I wanted to punch him right in the fucking dick and then cut it off. What a manipulative son of a bitch. Oh my God. Again, he is trying to make it look like he's a fucking great person. Like, fuck off, man. You are the worst. You're fine. Oh my God. So Connie then became pregnant at 17, even though she was not having sex, okay? Virgin Mary. Of course, right? That's what he claimed. He claimed yeah. that it was a virgin birth. Yeah. Oh, my. An immaculate conception. The audacity of right. this fucker. The audacity. Yeah, well, he's so good oh. that even his family members get oh, pregnant without even God. help. Well, he tells her that she couldn't get an abortion, so she was sent. Because he has boundaries. Of course, yeah, yeah, he has boundaries. But he sends her to Minnesota to live in a home of unwed mothers. Is it weird that we're known for that in Minnesota? Yeah, I, I was, I was, I was a little intrigued by that. I'm like, hmm, I, I didn't know that we were such a center for that. But I mean. Kudos to Minnesota. Maybe for, because it was so cold and nobody would want to come here. Who no knows? one would find out. I mean, at least we're housing the women that, you know, get pregnant. It, it happens, you know, especially yeah. in that time. It happens. Yeah. Oh, and back then, it was. I mean, it was like a stain Ugh. on your whole existence, you know? Horrible. She had given her son up for adoption. That was really her plan from the start because she didn't even understand how she got pregnant in the first place. No, she was a child. Right. But years later... 27 years later, an agency had reached out to her to arrange contact with her son. Yeah, he wanted to find exactly. her. Her son wanted to know more about her. Yeah. So we're now back with Wendy Babs, and she is on her way to Walker, Minnesota. Oh, my gosh, you guys. I was not seeing this coming How at all. How did we make it into this documentary? <laughs> and my first thought was, ew, look at all the snow. Well, right when I saw the snow, I'm like, well, of course it's Minnesota. I know. And I'm like, of course snowing. she would come here in the yeah, winter. Of course. Yeah, because, of course, the whole country believes we're under snow cover 90% of the year. Which is sometimes true. Yeah, yeah sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Some years are terrible. Some years are bad. <laughs> and she meets Jonathan Stensland. Now, he was born in 1965. And they're showing, like, his house, which from the outside is so cute. It looks like mm-hmm. like a cabin, but, like, totally. a nice cabin. Yeah. Not, like, a log cabin, but, like, the kind of cabin you want on a lake. Well, and, like, we go inside and you see, like, the walls are like logs. Yeah, they're all logs yeah. on the inside. Like it, it's not like normal sheetrock. It's like logs. It's a log cabin. And it's like they're showing all of these little like tchotchke like yeah. collections that he has. And I'm like, so Minnesota. It is. It, it's so a Minnesota cabin. Oh, for real. To a like all those little baby spoons <laughs> in like the, the shadow box. I'm like, is that does anybody else in the planet do that? Or is that just a You're Minnesota right. thing? And did he inherit this from his grandmother? Because I swear to God, it's my grandmother's house. <laughs> and like the little like egg collection, like the rock eggs. I was just like, I know. What is going on here? <laughs> Very strange. So they're sitting down kind of looking at different albums. Now, Jonathan says that, you know, he always knew he was adopted. And, you know, he said that growing up, people would say, well, who are your parents? And he'd say, well, 
my parents are my parents, right, you know? Right. He's like, growing up as an adopted child, you always tell yourself, you know, your parents are your parents because they are. But as you get a little bit older, you start to almost feel like you're living a lie because you've been yeah. telling yourself this. And there's a f- part of you that knows that that's not entirely true. Mm-hmm. Your parents can be your parents, but where did you come from? Exactly. So he says that, you know, all he really knew was that his mother was pretty young when she gave birth to him. And his adopted mom actually pushed him to look her up. She said, why don't you look her up? Why don't yeah. you try to find her? Which I think is so great. I love that so much. I know. Because I, I know that some adopted parents, like, well, especially back in the day, wanted to make it seem like they weren't an adoptive parent. Right. And would almost kind of, like, fight the child on it. Well, I think it's a little bit of jealousy. I, I, I'm coming from yeah. a place of I've never been there. But it seems like it might be a little bit of a jealousy thing, whereas the parent that you grew up with mm-hmm. loves you mm-hmm. and you are their child, right? And, and they don't want to see you, like, turn your back on them. Yes, or they don't want to see you love your biological parents more than you love them. You know what I mean? Right. I would feel the same way, to be completely honest. I would feel the same way because yeah. you love that child no matter what. That is your baby, right? right. But they want to know more about who they are biologically and it's a scary thing. You don't, you don't know. You would hope that they wouldn't just up and leave you, but you just never know. So I think a lot of the adopted children too would almost kind of go into it with that mindset. Like, well, but at the same time, this person did give me away. Yeah. So I want to know why. Yeah. What, why that backstory, how did they make that decision? Cause that's a big decision. Absolutely. Yeah. So he says that Connie had actually wrote him a letter and she had told him that she had become pregnant as a result of a checkup that she had had. So again, I mean, basically, uh, rape? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just without a dick? I yeah. don't know. You, a turkey based or rape? I, uh, I don't know. Terrible. And she believes that that's how he was conceived. Now, at the time, when Connie's mom had found out about this, she went nuclear and filed for divorce Thank from Dr. Fortier. God. Right. Thank God this woman had a head on her shoulders and didn't give two shits about anything to save her marriage or whatever else. She got the fuck out. Well, thank God. Because how many times have you heard about a daughter getting in trouble with maybe a dad or a stepdad? Because I think this was actually her step. This was her. This was her mother's first child from another marriage. Yes. So he wasn't. He was the adopted father to her. But she was her mother's first child. Correct. Right. Correct. So in that situation, I think you hear about a lot of, you know, times where the mom doesn't believe the daughter. Yeah. Doesn't want to think ill of her husband. Oh, no. She did. You know, the first sign of something she iffy was and she heard gone. Thank yeah. God there are good yeah. people on this earth. Smart people. Exactly. Yeah. Now, when Jonathan had gone to meet Quincy, because he did go meet Quincy Fortier, and he says, you know, the first thing he noticed was that Quincy had a what he called a Popeye arm, just like he did. Mm-hmm. Those large forearms. Yeah. And I was like, I so thought that was a Minnesota thing. <laughs> you see it in Minnesota a lot. <laughs> yeah. And he says, you know, on some level, he liked him. There was a bit of a kinship. He physically liked what he was seeing because it was the same as him. Right. Trait like physical traits. Right. Physical of, of traits. Who, yes. Where he was yep, like, of what he looked like. Yeah. So he would say things like, you know, I was looking at his hand and I didn't think about what he did with those hands, but it was the hand itself. It looked so much like mine. Right. Kind of a situation. And I I mean I can totally understand yes. that kind of enamored feeling you would have. Mm-hmm. Now he says that, you know, the thing was was that Dr. Fortier would never really talk about anything that meant anything. 
which doesn't surprise me. Right. I feel like once you've spent all day looking at vaginas, <laughs> really, what do you have to say? Right. You know, he also said that he had like a higher pitched voice, which not going to lie, really kind of surprised me when he said that. Yeah, I because wasn't I'm expecting thinking, that. thinking like, I don't know, you think of like characteristics of like a man, right? And a higher pitched voice is not, not one. That. And definitely not one that I would think would be, like, super fruitful. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Right. You know, it just, just doesn't go together. No. No. And that's not to say that if your man has a higher-pitched voice, he's not able to make babies. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> this was the 60s, you guys. Right. Now, he says that when he asked Dr. Fortier about it, he said that he had taken a semen sample before his checkup with Connie and that he had somehow accidentally used the same cotton swab from that semen sample on Connie and gotten her pregnant. Oh. And basically, he just said this was, you know, an accident and that he didn't mean to do it and that it wasn't his fault, essentially, is what it sounds like. Mm. And Jonathan says, you know, to be honest, he never really confronted him on the situation because he just didn't really feel like it was his place. He was the offspring of that situation. Sure. It was Connie's place to do the confrontation if she wanted to. I would feel the opposite, I think. I'd be like, what were you thinking? Like, yeah. what is wrong with you? Minnesota nice, though. Ugh. He's Minnesota. That's true. That he, is true. You Holy know? shit. So he probably just didn't, didn't do it. Yeah. And back then, people had respect for their elders, even if they were true. shit. True. You know? Well, and I think he actually met him. Not that long ago. I want I I would think when he was already obviously already an adult. So that would make sense. Right. Now, in the letter that Connie had wrote to Jonathan, she had even said that she asked Dr. Fortier why he thought it was OK to sexually abuse his daughters. And Dr. Fortier made mention of different studies that he had Oof. read that had proved that it wasn't harmful to the girls. Are you fucking kidding me. Yeah, he actually said, quoted by Connie, there were studies from the Menninger's clinic that sexual relations with children and their father were not harmful. Fucking monster. Are you kidding me? What is wrong with him? What is wrong with him? This is why so many Ugh. women have daddy issues, fucker. Literally, I wrote down, reminded me of Kevin from The Office when he's talking about Jim and Pam being in a relationship, but no one knows it yet. And he's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Right. That's all I had to fucking say. This is, this is, gar he's garbage, man. I he sucks. He yeah. is the, who says shit like that? A sexual relationship with your child is not harmful to them? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, no, it's just a control. It's a control Ugh. thing. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. Ugh, gross. Well, and I said, where the fuck is this written? Where, where's this clinic? Where's this study? Where is this fucking written? It's the Menninger's Clinic. Oh, my God. I can't. Horrible. I can't. Now, we're back with Quincy Fortier Jr. Now, he was the son of Dr. Fortier yes. that we talked about earlier. <laughs> and in the beginning of the episode, he kind of points the doctor as being like a very smart guy. Right. right? I kind of hated him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> but then he comes back. I love this part. <laughs> and he says, my father was crazy and a pervert. And I was like, wait, what did you say? I had to do the 15 seconds back because I'm like, wait a minute. Did I just miss something? <laughs> and he goes, 
his mother got out when she found out all of the shit that was going on. Yeah. Because Dr. Fortier had molested all of his kids, daughters, sons, and anyone else who came around the house. He didn't give a shit. He is the fucking worst. Apparently, all he wanted to do was play. Oh, I hate that. That, like, literally made my, like, my shoulders go up. I know. I know. Ugh. Ick. It's gross. So sick. Especially as a mother of a daughter. Doesn't that just make you want to? It does. I mean, I don't know how this woman did not kill him. I I wanted to jab his eyes out with fork. Yeah. I mean, every possible horrible thing I can do to make him in so much pain. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. For real. I would have jabbed his eyes out with whatever he was inseminating these women with. (laughs) That's right. You know, just like stick it in and then like karma, like syringe (laughs) his eyeball out of it. Yes. Ugh. (laughs) Now, Quincy goes on to say that the only time he ever felt safe was when his dad was dead and in a coffin. Isn't that sad? That's sad. Even when his dad is in his 90s, he didn't he still felt that way because of all the damage his dad has had done to him his whole life. It's a lot of brainwashing. It's a lot of mental abuse, mental abuse, a lot of mental abuse. It, it, It was. I mean, the manipulation, the lies, it was it was abuse. It's not it was both. It was physical and mental abuse. Yeah. Right. I mean, he says that he was gentle and never hurt. Fuck you, man. How do you know? How do you fucking know you didn't hurt them? You've hurt them so bad the rest of their goddamn life. Yeah. It's something they'll never forget. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just because you didn't physically harm them doesn't mean you didn't psychologically damage them. Oh, my God. Yeah. So we're back with one of your favorite people in this, Sonia. Man. One of the adopted daughters. Yeah. And, you know, the film crew is asking her, well, you know, were you ever abused? And she goes, no, there was no abuse in my life. She doesn't know about any of the other siblings. And the whole time she's talking during this, it literally looked to me like almost like she didn't want to defend him. Yeah. But felt like she had to. Well, did you get that feeling? She was not like the other sister. No, because at the end, the crew asks her if she had thought the allegations were true. Yeah. And she literally doesn't say anything, but she nods her head. Yes. And then she nods her head no. Yep. But she doesn't say anything. Nope. So you can tell that she is in a rock and a hard place right now because big time. She doesn't know how to feel. And she knows this is obviously being video recorded. Right. You know, and so every a lot of people are gonna see this. So I still don't like her that much. Well, I she's still on his side. I don't like that. I think he should have rotted in hell and died alone. I mean, that's how it should have been. For but real. I mean, he still had his fucking medical license. It was never taken away. He's still glorified. He, there's no bad marks on his fucking medical. Like, fuck that. That is horrible. You know his what I mean? Legacy like, is no. not what he was hoping it would no, be. No, not at yeah. all. Well, and the film crew even asks her, like, well, would you have ever asked any of your siblings, you know, if any of them had that happen? And she just said she doesn't want to know. And I don't like that either. I don't like, like it either. Ask, ask them. If she you clearly give doesn't a have shit, a daughter. No, if you give a shit about them, ask them. Yeah. Like you have, you have a lot of siblings. I mean, she was adopted by Doctor Fortier. Yeah, but still, there is a lot of people involved here. Like, ask a question. Now, Doctor Frank Silver comes back, and he tells us that he probably thought that he was doing a great service. But he said, you can't be a miracle worker and not let the individuals know what's going on. Exactly. Like we've been saying from the beginning, 
You think you're doing great work, but you haven't told a damn person about what you're actually doing. Yeah. So you're not. Yeah. It's almost like it's a self-gratification right. kind of a thing. Oh, it totally was. He also goes on to say that bad means don't justify the end. And right. I, I love that. I love that saying. It totally overarches everything that we've been saying this whole episode. Yeah. Now, Dr. Harrison Scheld comes back, the, the hippopotamus penis guy. <laughs> <laughs> just, just in case you forgot. And he tells us that one of his sons called him up one day to tell him that he has a daughter. Yeah, he, found her through a DNA test. Yep, he never knew he had a daughter. Remember, he was also one of the doctors giving out his samples back then. Yeah, he was donating in medical school and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Two weeks later, his son called him up again. We got another one, another match. He now knows of 13 biological kids that he has. Yeah. From donating. Yeah. And he just kind of laughs it off. I mean, he's, he's just like, well, that's what happens when I, you know, when you donate. I mean, well, you well, just kind of laugh it off. that's what it was off. there for. Right. They weren't just, I don't know, like ejaculating into a sock and getting 50 bucks for it. These were right. supposed to be used for a reason. Right. So I'm sure and, and on some level, he knew they were being used. But I think also it's one of those things where, you know, like we mentioned back then, they didn't have the genetics to find stuff out. Right. So I think he just never really thought he would ever know. Exactly. I, I, I believe that, too. Now, we actually see this 40A half-sibling gathering that they kind of put together yeah. where they could all meet each other. And a lot of them were finding similarities right off the bat. Yeah. And a lot of them had that instant connection with each other. Like you had stated earlier, like you just have that connection with your siblings. It's just a no brainer. I mean, you look at each other, you you feed off of each other a little bit. You have like the same quirks and the same things that you do. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just something that's instinctual. Well, and all of them seem to be like smart too. Yes. Yes. Right? Which is probably the only good thing I could say about all of them is that they're they're all very intelligent people. Yeah. So and I in mean, different ways. Yes, in, in different ways. Yes, yeah. they hone in on their different traits and attributes differently, but they're all very smart people. Mm-hmm. We meet Brent Levitt, who was born in 1984, who was also a half-sibling Jeez. of Dr. Fortier. Yeah. And he found out when his parents sat him down and told him that his dad was infertile and that they had used a donor. And he said that he thought he kept thinking, like, I don't even know who I am. And I I think about that and I'm like, shit. Yeah. You grew up your whole life thinking one thing. Mm-hmm. And then when you're an adult, you find out that everything you believed in was wrong. Yeah. I know parents, you know, they want to protect their children and, you know, they don't want to, like, traumatize them in any way when they're kids. But right. it would be hard. You know, I I, I couldn't imagine that. We meet Michael Cleaver, who was born in 1984 as well. And he said that it took him weeks to recover from this. I mean, yeah, he, he was got physically sick, physically ill. He was so distraught when he found out because, again, your whole world turns upside down. You almost have to find yourself again, like your identity and who you are. Right. Now, Jonathan Stensling goes on to say that, you know, he kind of feels that Dr. Fortier had like a pleasure in being able to pull this off, kind of like. All of these forbidden fruits that shouldn't exist but are floating around all over the world. Yes. Like, he just wants his DNA all over the place. Yeah. Sicko. He is. So the documentary ends with some on-screen text. 
As of this film's completion, more than two dozen U.S. doctors have been accused of secretly inseminating patients with their own sperm. Dr. Quincy Fortier saw thousands of fertility patients. His biological children continue to emerge. And like we said, we'll never know the full amount because a lot of them have passed away by now. Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of them passed away probably thinking that their parents were their parents. They never knew the differentiation, right? Because he's been doing this since the 40s. Right. I would say they're the blessed ones. Probably. Probably. They didn't have to deal with all of this Ancestry.com and all this kind of stuff that came out like some of the kids in the 80s had to. Yeah. Like in the 84, right? Ew. Ew. Well, I don't know about you, but that all sounds like enough birth control for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking scary, man. Man, I don't want to go into another gynecological exam ever. No, my gosh. It's scary. Yeah. It's just crazy to think that he was never charged and died like as content as he came into the whole world of fertility. I I hate it. I hate all of it. I know. Well, next week, we are going to be doing part one in a two-part series on the HBO documentary, Who Killed Garrett Phillips? This is a story of a 12-year-old boy who was found strangled one day. So horrible. I've I've heard of this case. I haven't watched a documentary yet. And it's it's horrible. Yeah. I I of course I never like to hear about no child situations, but unfortunately they're out there, right? They are. We're gonna report on them. That's right. Because I feel like what's worse is their story not being told. Exactly. Yeah. All right, that's it for today, guys. That's it. So as always, we're going to ask you to please take a quick moment, go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, help us get seen. That's right. Yeah, it's, it is it is helping out a lot. We it got does. a lot of reviews in December. Yes, we Which did. is really exciting. I was looking through them today. I think we had like five or six. Yes, we did. Thank and you so much. Yeah, thank you. And I think we should start like shouting out these people. Yes. Because I feel like they need to be heard too. Absolutely. Since they're doing, you know, God's work. <laughs> And giving us reviews. Now, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at sheer underscore crime underscore podcast. You can find us on Twitter at sheer crime pod. And of course, our Facebook discussion group, which is sheer crime podcast discussion group. (laughs) Because again, we were super creative. Yes, we were. We had to make it easy for you guys to find. (laughs) That's right. If you have any cases that you'd like us to cover, any documentaries out there, anything you want to hear, you can always shoot us an email at requests at sheercrimepodcast.com. We are always looking for listener requests. Absolutely. Yeah. We just did one two weeks ago. We did. Yes. The Gypsy Rose was a listener request. So if you have any that you saw recently and think we would be great covering it, let us know. Other than that, I think that's all I have. Do you have anything else, Kenzie? I don't think so. All right. Well, we're going to close this out like we always do. You guys have a great week and we will see you next Wednesday with a new episode. And as always, don't forget, never run with scissors. Bye. See ya. See ya.